we're in Exodus 15, and I'm calling it the song and the tree. So what we're going to do first is we're going to read through Exodus 15, and then we'll talk through several of the pieces. Exodus 15, starting in verse 1, it says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. He, his chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over, whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them, and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, 
where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. So in the, the, in the song of Moses and then the song of Miriam, Miriam in her song, what we're recorded of it is the repeat of the very first thing that Moses said in his song. And the way we, we used to always sing this one, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea. And this one, it says, in this translation, it says that the horse and rider were thrown into the sea. And so I, I found that fascinating that we have the, they fell in or they were thrown in. And I noticed there are several other sections in here that are also in song. And so it's, it's really, to me, here at Living Water, our goal always is to see how, you know, not get stuck in one century or one decade with the music that we sing, but to sing as much of it of the church's music as we can. And so here we actually have something that has been in writing for a very long time. I really doubt that we're singing the same tune that Moses or Miriam sang when we sing that. But the fact that we're still singing the same words, praising the Lord, is really neat to, to contemplate on. And the fact that some of the same words in so many different languages God has been hearing the same themes over and over, and that to this day, we are rejoicing in the Lord that he, that he opened the Red Sea for his people. And so if you remember from last week, when God was looking at the impossibility of the Philistines, and in the song, Moses addresses that and says that the Philistines are going to be, they're going to be taken hold of with sorrow. Uh, but in... The Lord literally looked at the Philistines and looked at the Israelites and said, they're not ready. That's too difficult for them. And so he diverted their pathway and they went over to the Red Sea, which was an impossibility for them. And so they went from a difficulty to a possibility, an impossibility. And there the Lord worked and they saw God do something that they never could have imagined or thought of or done. With the Philistines, if God had delivered them from the Philistines, there is some chance that with that many men, with that much shared experience with everything they had done, that they might have been able to come up with something clever and somehow defeat the Philistines. It's possible. that, Or if the Lord would have honored them in it and blessed them and they would have delivered them from the Philistines, they could have taken credit for, for it for themselves. But no one's taking credit for splitting the Red Sea. That is not in the repertoire of any magician or any None of us does that kind of thing. And so it was so impossible and so big that there was no doubt that it had to be God who did that. And so that's, to me, one of the encouragements of my life is that when I come to an impossibility, it doesn't mean that I'm at the end of the road. It means I am poised to see God at work. And so this praise that the Red Sea has been divided, this praise for the Red Sea being divided becomes a cornerstone of testimony for millennia, for the children of Israel, and then for Christianity, it is still something that we look back and say, this is what God did. Now, fascinatingly enough, it irritates those who do not believe in God to think that we would rejoice that God would split the Red Sea. And they're like, that is so ridiculous. Why would you even do that? No one does that. And that's precisely the point. No one does that kind of thing. None of the gods of the earth do that kind of thing. None of the, the demon powers in the world can do that kind of thing. And yet God himself did it. And so what happened here with Moses, I was looking through trying to see if there was ever another song that's recorded where someone, where it's written. We have the blessings that are written uh, from Jacob to his sons that could have been songs the way they're written as poems. 
But this does seem to be some of the very first songs that are written. Is Miriam's, uh, Moses' song and then Miriam's uh, kind of refrain of the song. And so it, from a curiosity standpoint, it says that Moses and the children of Israel sang this. And so my question is, were they accustomed to singing together before this point? Because later we see more and more song and music becoming part of the, of the Hebrew culture, where they are singing the songs of David, they're singing on instruments, and there's a lot of music happening. And by the time they're rebuilding the temple, they, they have whole hosts of people who are singing, who are trained singers. And so we, have, we see this in the future, but this seems to be one of the first times that we see them singing together. It is possible that they did, they did sing together, that they had other songs that we just don't know, but this is one that is recorded, and we see the song of Moses here, and we see the song of Miriam. I hesitated to move on from the song just because in reality, we could read through the song phrase by phrase and talk about what this means and how it applies. But I really didn't want to get too bogged down on everything. I wanted to keep moving through Exodus at some rate. So if you are a singer-songwriter, you can look and see how many songs have been written from the Song of Moses. I think that would be fascinating. And if you find spaces that don't have songs written, you might write one. So read and enjoy and be blessed with the songs of and, and also, I just wanted to point out, too, that here we have an example of a song and then a refrain, because Miriam's song is literally just a refrain or a singing again a part that had already been sung. And so we see that later in the Psalms where something will be repeated more. But it's, so this is potentially the first song that we get to see, and there is room here to totally geek or nerd out, however you see yourself, and to look into it. I think it's, it's really neat and worth looking into. But it wasn't where I wanted to land on for today. Today, what I wanted to do was go ahead and read the last, from verse 22 on down, and really focus in on that section. And so what we find is in verse 23, when they come to Mara. And they cannot drink the waters of Mara because they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. So we come, they're, they're traveling. They have now seen God at work. And I'm just thinking they came through the Red Sea. They're all singing and rejoicing. And so if everyone is singing together, this is how my brain works, they're already drinking more water because now they're singing and there's like energy being expended. They're drinking more water. And I'm looking at the water of the Red Sea going, do they drink that stuff or are they getting, where are they getting their water? But then they go three days journey. They're running out of water. And if you've ever run out of water on a hike or an event, it's, it's a pretty disastrous thing. When you start running out of water, you lose perspective of just about everything else because really you're going to die if you don't get some water soon. And so this is what's happening to the children of Israel. They're going, Moses, what are we going to do? We don't have any water. It says in verse 24, the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And I think this is a fair complaint. I think it's a fair question. What are we going to drink? We are here we came to this well, and there's, there's bitter water here, and we can't drink it. And the waters of Mara are bitter. And so I'm calling it a well, even though it doesn't specifically call it here a well. They, um, it's the bitter waters of Mara. And so what's fascinating to me is that Moses, in verse 25, Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Now, I, have, I know of many things that are sweet, but I don't usually think of a tree as being sweet. 
and I don't think the tree itself is sweet. That was, this is something else happening here. So the Lord shows him a tree. He throws the tree into the water, and the water becomes sweet. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he, God, made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And so right here, as he gives them water, he sets an ordinance up with them, a statute and ordinance, and it says he tested them. And in verse 26, he says, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. So this is a fascinating promise that they're getting purely because they ran into bitter water and then they needed the water to be made sweet. And then the Lord says, here's a statute and an ordinance for you. And I am the Lord who heals you. And then if you keep reading, it says they, the next place they came to was Elam in verse 27, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. So I'm reading through this and I have my own thoughts on what this could mean and how this, what kind of a foreshadowing is here. And the first thing that I came to is simply this. It says, the Lord showed him a tree. So he sees a tree and as he's, he takes the tree and he throws it into the water. And so I started thinking about all the places that we have trees in the garden of Eden. Back in Genesis two, we have the tree of life and we have this tree and then the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we have trees figuring largely in the beginning. And then we go all the way back to Revelation. In Revelation 22, you're reading and it says there was a tree of life. There's a river. There's a tree of life. Its leaves are for the, the fruit of it are for the healing of the nations. And it's amazing. It was talking about a tree. And so we go from the very beginning of creation to what our report is of heaven and what's happening there. And we have trees. And so at the beginning and the end, we have a tree. And then in the very middle, we have Jesus being hanged on a tree. He's being crucified on a tree. And then here we have this picture of a tree that God says, here, I want you to look at this tree. And he takes this tree and he goes and he tosses it in the water and it changes everything. Now, what's fascinating about this is that recently there's a multi-level marketing organization that has discovered a tree that grows over in somewhere in those and they think it is literally the, the magical tree that will cure any disease you ever had. And so they are taking it and turning it into a product and are marketing it and they're calling it, they're identifying it with this tree, the tree of Mara. And so I thought about that and, and it, just, it just was so, maybe there is such a tree, maybe it does have medicinal qualities, but I thought if there ever was a group of people that would be willing to pay good money for something that may or may not be anything other than snake oil, it's us as American Christians. We are such sitting ducks when it comes to, hey, we found the tree over in the wilderness. It's this perfect thing. And I forget what it's called, Moringa or something. Anyhow, so I just found that as a, a fascinating side note. You might tell me later that it truly is this amazing tree and it is the tree of life or something. Um, we can have that conversation another time. But the, the whole point here is how many times trees show up in the Bible. And the Bible is full of trees. And fascinatingly enough, in today's world, if you go back, so I haven't been to Israel, but I occasionally, like the other day, I'm researching what do the hills of Jerusalem look like when um, Nehemiah is coming back from Babylon? What does he see up ahead? And so it, 
I just go over there and Google, and I drop the little man on the street down, and I walk along these little streets, and I look at the profiles of the hills. You can still see it's way more hilly than I expected, and it's also very full of trees. So since 1948, when Israel came back, they've been planting trees and planting trees, and just really, the part that's there the part that's theirs is really growing. Now, all you have to do is go over into the, to the, uh, the part that is still owned by the Muslims and stuff, and immediately all the trees are gone. It's a desert. It's the most barren place. And so there's this very clear cut. And, and maybe it's not true in all cases, but multiple times when I've gone over there looking at stuff, I will be like looking down on it and see all this beautiful foliage, and right over here is desert. And it's the same dirt. And so you, they could be doing the same thing on both sides, but there's a difference in why they're there. That's a story for another time. But what I wanted to point out from it is a tree is a symbol of the blessing and the prosperity of God. If you look at Psalm 1 where it says, blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit at the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree who's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his, leaf, in his season and his leaves also will not wither and whatever he does will prosper. And so the tree itself is often a symbol of health and prosperity. And then it's this very tree, it's a tree that Jesus is crucified on. And so this to me is worth contemplating how there is a tree that we see throughout scripture. It's a tree of life. We see this pictures of the tree of life. Even here, God shows him a tree and says, look at this tree. Take this tree, throw it in the water. He puts the tree in the water. The waters are made sweet. They drink and they move on. So I'm reading all of this and I'm thinking, I wonder what the early church, and when I say the early church in this case, I mean like the first couple hundred years of the church. What did they think about this account? And so I go reading through my the, the, the books I have with the early church fathers on, on Exodus, I look up Exodus 15. And boy, they were coming alive with this. They were like, look at this. Here we have the waters of Marah. The waters of Marah are a picture of the Old Testament. They are bitter waters. And you don't understand it and it doesn't help you until you have the tree, the cross of Christ. And then suddenly all of the Old Testament becomes sweet to you if you look at it with the cross of Jesus. So that's one of the things they would say. And then they said, now look at this. We have one well over here, one well, one bitter water well, and it's, it's, that's what we've got. We've got Moses. But then we go to Elam, there in verse 27, and in Elam, there are 12 wells. And so they saw that as the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. And then it said, look, it says 70 palm trees. That's the 71, the 70 who were sent out. So the amount of writing they were doing about this section, really, it kind of blew me away a minute. They, they got excited about this, this, this imagery of this. And so I started thinking about along that line too, because when I look at the cross of Jesus, when you look at the cross of Christ and you think of what Jesus did on the cross and you think of the actual physical torture and, and, and just the inhumanity of it all, it is not a sweet thing. It is not a pleasant something to look at. And yet, when I apply, when I submit myself to the cross of Christ, and the cross of Christ is applied to all the broken areas of my life, suddenly those things become sweet and redeemed. And so I take something that's bitter as death, 
and it is applied to my life and suddenly my life becomes sweet because it's redeemed. And so I started thinking in those terms and I, I, I also get a little excited with the fact that here we have this image of Moses and he says, you know, we, we're dying. The children of Israel say we're dying. We don't have water. We've got to have water. And we'll see this picture of them thirsting multiple times here in Exodus. They are thirsting. They need water. They're needing the Holy Spirit to help them in some way. That's us. You know, we're thirsty. We're in a barren land. We look around us and everywhere we look, it's just bitterness, 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 the bitterness of the brokenness of the world. And it's not pleasant and it's not refreshing to our souls. And we become weary as we are thirsting for something good and refreshing and sweet. And then the Lord shows us a tree. Because this is what he showed Moses. He said, look, there's this tree over here. And so the Lord shows us the tree of Christ, the cross of Christ. And when he shows us the cross of Christ, the picture is not that the cross itself or the tree itself, Moses didn't bring the tree and everyone ate the tree. Moses, it wasn't even, they didn't all even take a piece of the tree, but the tree itself changed the bitterness that was there and turned it into something refreshing. I've had cause to reflect on our human nature and how when you find an elderly person who is full of joy, that is almost a miracle. Because many, many people, as they go through the world, they bump into the brokenness here and the brokenness there, and they receive the bitterness here and the bitterness there, and, and they start carrying all the scars and all the brokenness and all, and it becomes a heavy burden. And as they get older and older, sometimes they're like, well, you know, I don't beat around the bush anymore, I just speak the truth. But what they really mean is they're only speaking in bitterness. And so they will say what they think should be said, and they don't care how it feels to other people. And so the, the miraculous thing, if you come to the end of your life and you find someone who is sweet at the end of their life, that's a miracle. Something has happened because all of us walk in the brokenness and in the burdened area of the, of the world where there's something bitter, the bitter things that happen to us, we have to forgive, but we don't have the power to forgive on our own. It's not until we come to Christ and we see this so beautifully illustrated in the Lord's Prayer where he says, when we pray, we, we, Jesus teaches us the phrase. He's like, here, this is what you should pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And suddenly he connects these two together and says, you should forgive other people because you've been forgiven much. And we start seeing that there's something happening here that is way bigger than just me. There's something, my relationship with God is, is, is somehow involved here. And so as I am coming to Jesus, and so this is a tree, so suddenly the bitter things are being made sweet instead of me having to, to be frustrated and of me having to bear all the weight of all the brokenness, I realize I can apply the tree. I can apply the cross of Christ to this bitterness, to this brokenness, and somehow he renews me and refreshes me. So he takes the very thing that is a bitterness of soul to everyone else, but because the tree is applied, it becomes sweet to me. And it can happen to any of us. All of us can have this happen. 
or we can continue walking in the bitterness of it. And so that was my, my contemplation this week is, am I allowing the Lord to show me the tree when I come to the water and I'm going, it's bitter, I don't like it, it's not helping me, it's not refreshing, I'm gonna die, I'm drying up. And fascinatingly enough, the early, one of the early church fathers was writing about Roding, was writing about Miriam and her song and the fact that she took a tambourine or the timbrel is what it says here, the timbrelline and the tambourine. And what they were talking about was how this is something that is so dried out, the skin is so dry and yet it can be used to help praise the Lord. And they were making reference to the fact that we come sometimes from dry places, from thin places, from stretched places where, where things, and they, and they were saying, look at it. She takes this thing and praises the Lord with it. I would never have thought of that if someone else hadn't said it first. <laughs> but I thought it was fascinating that they were looking at this and, the, and they, were, they were getting the fact that we're in the wilderness. The children of Israel are in the wilderness and God is taking care of them. He is making a statute and an ordinance with them saying, I am your healer. I am your God. If you will just follow me, if you'll just obey me, I am the Lord who heals you. And he shows them this when they come to Elam and there they have the 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees and they camp there by the waters. And, and so later we're going to see them, they're going to be hungry and they're going to need manna. We're going to see them where they need water again. We're going to see them when they actually come in contact with the world that attacks them. So the armies come out against them and they attack them. And we're going to see all of these as how they are responding and how they're journeying with the Lord. But right here in this moment, we have just a brief glimpse of what God wants to do. He wants to take the bitter and make it into something sweet. And so I thought of it in my own life. Is there something, is there anything that is still bitter? Is there something that I have, and it could be something that you are forced by family connections or because of work responsibilities or various duties. There can be things in the world that you are forced to interact with, but when you do, every time you do, you're just like, eh, I don't like it, that's bitterness. And so as I'm thinking about those areas in my life, I said, Lord, can you show me a tree? You showed Moses a tree and he, put, he basically took the tree and injected it into the situation and it became the bitter waters were made sweet. Can you show me the tree? And then it is a potential that it's just the fact that you and I are needing a new revelation of Jesus and of the cross for every part of our life. Because when he died for us, he didn't just die to barely squeak us into heaven because we have some legal right now, but he died to redeem us, to fully transform us, to take the broken things of the world and to make them whole again. And so he wants to take the bitter waters and make them sweet. And I think of the, the scripture where it says that the creation itself is eagerly awaiting. And you think of the, you know, does, does a bitter spring want to be bitter? Does the bitter water want to be bitter? Or was it once sweet, the creation? I, I'm using, what is that, projection, where I project my feelings onto inanimate objects? Um, I do that a lot in my life, by the way. I, I feel sorry for trees and rocks and grass and other stuff just because I imagine it has feelings like me. Um, 
it's kind of humorous when I catch myself doing it at times. Um, but here's, here's this, this brokenness that's around us. It needs to be redeemed. It needs to be made new. And here we come, the sons of God, and we have an opportunity to interact with the things around us. And sometimes we just go, man, it's bitter. Man, it's broken. It's so bad. It's so bad. And we just complain, 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 never stopping to realize maybe when God led us this way and he brought us to this thing, it was because he wanted to redeem and renew that thing. And maybe we are the Moses in the circumstance that's supposed to say, Lord, what do you want to do? And the Lord wants to show us the tree that we can put into the situation. He wants to show us how the cross of Christ also paid for the redemption of this, for the transformation of this. And that is an exciting thought. And so when I think of God saying, I'm making an, a statute and an ordinance with you, I think this is, this, is, this is the statute and ordinance he wants to make with us. He wants to say, I am the Lord who heals you. And this is what he wants to do. And so it might take us a while. We might walk in the bitterness for a season. It might take us longer than just, in this instance, it seems the people cried out to Moses. Moses cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree. He cast it into the waters. The waters were made sweet. They, they were fine for that season. So I'm thinking, for myself, is it possible that the going and getting the tree and putting it into the bitterness, that is a process that might take some time. I'm not sure how fast Moses did it. He probably didn't have a chainsaw. But somehow he went and got that tree and he put it into the bitter water and it made the difference. It redeemed it. It transformed it. And so it doesn't, God doesn't here give us a formula and say, this is how you apply the tree. He just says it happened. And so for us, there are bitter things in our life. We don't have the formula where we say, one, two, three, take these five steps and you will have this. But there is something in the cross of Christ that paid for the redemption of that bitterness. And this is what we're asking the Lord to show us. We're saying, Lord, there's something bitter here. It is hurting your people. And we need to be refreshed. We need to be renewed. We need to be satiated. We need this. Can you show me the tree? Can you show me how the cross of Christ applies here? And because of this concept throughout the time, like, you know, the song, The Old Rugged Cross, we sing that. Oh, that old rugged cross. And I think if we could take all the people that have ever sung that song and been deeply moved by it, and you take them and you show them the actual physical bloody cross, it's not that sweet to us. It's a pretty, it's a, a, an instrument of torture. And yet to us, because of what it means, it becomes sweet. And we say, yes, but it redeemed me. It rescued me from where I was. It redeemed those in my family. It redeemed other people. It restored relationships that I thought would never be restored. Sometimes for some people, it is easier to imagine that God can save me and take me to heaven than it is to imagine that he can give me a good relationship with someone, uh, one of my human brothers. Other people think, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's great. God can... <laughs> 
help me here, but probably didn't die for me to go to heaven. And so there's a, there's a lot of faith that's lacking and we're all needing to look at the tree, to look at the cross, to see what Christ is wanting to redeem so that the bitter waters can be made sweet. Right now, we're all stuck with the, the reality of it. Um, you know, there is just so much bitter water. I was, we were driving north here the other night and we got close to, to uh, Sam and Karen Miller's house and it just, again, struck me that Sam is gone. And something about that grief of just knowing that Sam is, that he died, it just, it just seems wrong and it seems bitter. And yet, you know, we have, you know, Kevin passed away. We have, and, and I can see how God redeems pieces of it. And I can see some of it, but there's just this bitterness that's still there where this was what we call the sting of death, where we're like, that, it just doesn't seem right. It still hurts in some way. And so it's in those things, but not only in those things, it's in the relationships. It's when people hurt us and we don't know how to respond. There is bitterness there and we need to ask the Lord, what do you want us to do? We need to look and see how the tree of the cross of Christ applies to this. So that's my encouragement for us today. I'm not going to belabor the point, but I wanted to make sure that we understand that when we look at the tree, we can see the cross of Jesus. That when we look at the tree, we can see hope and refreshing and sweetness come into our life. When we bump into the bitterness of the world, we don't just have to grin and bear it. We don't just have to somehow keep slogging and hang on until Jesus comes. We can say, Lord, you died for this also. There is something in the cross of Christ that applies to this moment. Can you show that to me? Can you show me how you want to redeem and transform this moment? Because he does. He wants to give us salvation full and free. And it's not just a ticket to heaven that barely gets us there, but it's a, an ability to walk in this life and actually see things being transformed for his glory, for his kingdom, and it brings great glory to him. And then there are those seasons when we will come into Elam, where there are 12 wells of water, 70 palm trees, and those are precious, precious times. And I have learned in my journey that when those things are happening, instead of trying to figure out the 12 steps to replicate Elam, just go ahead and enjoy it and bless the Lord in it. While you're there, while the waters are flowing, while the palm trees are providing the shade, while you're there, go ahead and bless the Lord in it. Thank the Lord for his blessing. And understand that tomorrow you're going to need manna in the wilderness. Tomorrow you're going to need something else. Later you might run out of water again. You're going to need Jesus to redeem and restore you over and over again. But there are days when you get to camp in Elam. And that's a blessing. And so when you, when you bump into someone else and you discover they're in Elam and you're in Marah, rejoice with them. And learn to rejoice for yourself saying, I am at the point where I'm needing to see the work of the cross in my life. I need to see something. I'm on the verge of a miracle. I'm on the verge of seeing God providing for me because something has to happen. The water is bitter here. And so this is, if we can have this mindset of expectation and hope and waiting to see what is it God's about to do, it can change us. We can go through life rejoicing, and then when we reach old age, we will continue to rejoice instead of grumping at all of our neighbors and all of our people that interact with us. 
So as you can tell, I'm a little bit concerned that I might become a grumpy old man someday. So I, I'm working on this in my life. I want to learn to rejoice to, in hope, to always have this hope, to see the goodness of God, not just for me, but for others, to see the goodness of God and how he redeems others, to be able to rejoice in Elam and to walk confidently into through Mara. That's what I want. And this is the beauty of God giving us Exodus, the, the account here is we get to see how he interacted with his people, and we are his people, so how is he going to interact with us? He's going to use similar ways of faithfulness, but it will be uniquely fitted to our life and to our walk. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Moses' song and for Miriam's song. Thank you that to this day we remember that you parted the Red Sea, and then that you brought it back together again, and you destroyed the armies of Egypt who were attacking your people who would not let your people go, who did not understand your power and who you were, who refused to see that there is no God but Jehovah. Lord, they refused to see that. And yet here we are today looking back then and rejoicing in the hope that you, parting the Red Sea, brings to us. But we're truly rejoicing in the hope of the cross of Christ and how you can take bitter things and turn them into something beautiful. And so, Lord, we come as your children, needing hope, needing redemption, needing transformation. Father, week by week, we bump into little corners of the world where there is bitterness still, where there is still something that is the opposite of refreshing to us, and it's draining us. And we, in those moments, need to understand that you have provided for that as well, that the cross of Christ purchased redemption for that also. So Lord, I pray for each of us and I ask that you would help us to walk in that redemption, that as we walk through Mara, that we can see the tree and cast it into the water and experience that sweetness that only comes from you. So Father, we love you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.